0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the WGN-TV Political Report. I'm Paul Lisnick. And I'm Tamon Bradley, coming up. Truth is going to come out. Without a question,
1: the president will be acquitted.
0: The Senate begins the impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump. Illinois Congressman Mike Quigley weighs in on the Democrats' case.
1: We should be demanding safer streets. We should be demanding better schools. We should be demanding more stores and resources in our community. Black Caucus Clash. A closer look at how the group of aldermen are struggling to find their footing under a
0: new mayor. Plus... Election integrity. How a glitch in Illinois' automatic voter registration program has led to outrage from officials in both parties. And we begin the show today at the State House on Wednesday. Governor J.B. Pritzker will give his State of the State address. The speech comes after a blockbuster first year that saw Pritzker ticking off nearly every box on his massive to-do list. But the governor, whose motto has been dubbed Think Big, says his first priority this year is a simple task given to him by Jim Edgar. And he said the number one most
2: important thing you can do is introduce and pass a balanced budget. And it may sound boring to some people, budgets, who cares about a budget? Except you've seen what happened when people didn't care about passing a budget in the state.
0: Still from sealing the deal on a graduated income tax to a growing pension problem and a shrinking population, the Civic Federation's Lawrence Basal says Pritzker will need some more concrete ideas to keep things on the right track.
1: We're having less people, not only that are using the services that government provides, but supporting the infrastructure and providing the tax support we need. That's probably the biggest concern for the state and the city is population loss. After that, it's the amount of debt and the amount of unfunded pension liabilities that the governments are carrying. How are we going to address them?
0: And joining me in our WGN studios, two former Illinois state senators, the first Democrat, Daniel Biss. He ran against Governor Pritzker in the 2018 primary, and now he is a board member of Reform for Illinois. And also joining us, former deputy Republican leader, Matt Murphy. He's now the senior director of government relations at Matt Strategies Group. Gentlemen, good to see you. So, Governor Pritzker riding high from a great successful first year. The question is, is he in for a rude awakening in round two? Let's start with our Democrat.
3: No, I don't think so. I think, first of all, he accomplished a lot. So that leaves this year with less on the agenda, which is good because it's an election year. There are some important issues, especially around energy, uh, climate, and health care that he's got to get done, along with especially the ethics question given what's happened recently. And then I think the big test is going to be the referendum in November, the fair tax referendum that he has, in my view, very wisely staked his governorship on, that uh, he needs to see passed so that we can have a tax system that's going to work for the people of Illinois.
0: We'll dig into this a little bit, but Matt, what's your thought about the second year?
2: Well, Daniel's right. I mean, they got really an historical amount done last year, so that agenda list has gotten a lot of items ticked off of it. Uh, I think you're gonna see a lot of pressure on property taxes no matter where you go in this state, no matter what part of it uh, legislators are hearing about property taxes and ethics, ethics, ethics. Uh, There's been a lot going on involving the legislature and I think you're gonna see a lot of pressure brought to bear to clean that up.
0: So you guys and the governor have talked a lot about rooting out corruption. The question is what specifically what reform can they do to rectify the problem, Matt?
2: Well you start from the premise that you can't create a law that all of a sudden someone who's inclined to break the law is gonna follow. Uh, Because if they were gonna follow the law in the first place, you know, they wouldn't be uh, unethical. So, but there are things you can do to maybe make it a little bit easier. I think there is a, a, a task force right now, bipartisan task force right now, looking at ethics reform, uh, whether or not they get on the same page on that, but you're going to need to see things like, uh, you know, legislators lobbying other units of government other than the state of Illinois and various other things, potentially um, broadening the uh, disclosures on legislators' uh, uh, outside income uh, disclosures, a couple of those types of things maybe uh, in the works for the spring.
0: And Daniel, answer that, but don't, let me add, is Mike Patigan part of the problem here?
2: Uh, yeah. Um,
3: So that's easy. (laughs) Back to the other part of the question, I'm a little more optimistic than Matt. I I obviously agree that people are, you know, frankly a lot of the stuff in the news is already illegal and so you can't just pass another law making more things illegal and have people no longer do the things they've already been doing. But there are steps you can take and I think we ought to separate what we do into the long-term bold reform agenda that we need around things like totally revamping our campaign finance system, completely revamping outside income for legislators. That's such a big part of the problem. But the other thing is that in the short term, this ethics task force is going to come up with some recommendations. And in addition to the ones that Matt mentioned, there's things like giving more teeth to the Legislative Inspector General so investigations can function properly and transparently, having a statement of economic interest so we know more about the financial conflicts of interest that legislators might have. Before I let you move on, how is Mike Madigan a part of the problem? I mean, just expand that a bit. Well, first of all, he's amassed a tremendous amount of power. You know, he's been Speaker of the House since 1983, except for two years. I think that's unhealthy. I support term limits for legislative leaders. And, you know, he's got a transactional style of leadership that ultimately I think is more about maintaining power than having a really inclusive democracy that lets everybody's voices be heard.
0: Matt, the graduated income tax, obviously Pritzker's number one priority. Is that the answer to everything?
2: Well, I, you know, I look, the governor has looked at the situation and determined that more money is needed. This is a way to get it while minimizing pain would be his take. Uh, you know, the Republicans, I think, think... Uh, Uh, this will do more harm than good and uh, we'll work against it. But I think you will see this year in Springfield just about everything will be driven by how will it impact the popular vote on uh, the graduated income tax question in November.
0: And on top of that, uh, Danny, how how, how do you deal with the $137 billion pension problem, which seems to get tiptoed around now? Well,
3: gradually, right? We got into this problem slowly. We're going to get out of this problem. Not a very good one, if so. <laughs> um, the most important thing, and this is not a sexy thing to say, but it's the true thing to say, is you've got to make the responsible required payment every single year. So that's that's job number one. It's tempting to skip it. right? It's always good to say, you know, here in a TV studio, make the payment. And then when you're making the budget at the end of the legislative session, it's tempting to skip it. You can't give in to the temptation. And you've got to organize the rest of the budget, both the tax system, through having a... FAIR INCOME TAX AND THE REST OF THE SPENDING PRIORITIES IN A WAY THAT LEAVES THE ROOM TO MAKE THOSE PAYMENTS.
0: Um, THE GOVERNOR HAS BEEN RUNNING AROUND THE STATE HAVING uh, CHILDHOOD EDUCATION DEVELOPMENT PROGRAMS. DO WE SEE SOME ROOM FOR COORDINATION THERE, FOR JOINT WORK THERE? WELL, TO
2: THE EXTENT THAT YOU'RE TALKING ABOUT A COORDINATED EFFORT PERHAPS, BUT AGAIN, FINDING NEW MONEY. uh, THAT that GRADUATED INCOME TAX MONEY IS REALLY LARGELY ALREADY SPENT TO A LARGE EXTENT ON on, uh, MAKING PENSION PAYMENTS GOING FORWARD. Uh, IT'S GOING TO BE HARD TO FIND NEW MONEY. Uh, but I know that's a priority across party lines.
0: Uh, Daniel, the, the governor has talked about pumping resources into downstate, downstate building out uh, broadland access. How important is it to build up the state outside of Chicago?
3: Oh, it's critical and, you know, there are ways in which we've seen real geographical divides, political ways, of course, as the Chicago area has become more democratic, more liberal, and the rest of the state has become more republican, but also an economic divide as a lot of the rest of the state feels left behind. And so making those investments to allow economic revitalization in the rest of the state, it really
2: matters.
0: Matt, Chicago still needs a fix for the casino problem. How do you balance that in in a divided state?
2: Well, the argument, I think, in areas outside of Chicago is, look, if you allow Chicago to help itself, they will come looking for help from you and your constituents less. So if it, if it helps the economic driver of Chicago, it's gonna help the rest of the state. Not always a real easy sell downstate where uh, Chicago isn't terribly popular, but it's the right thing to do, and I think there's a potential for bipartisan compromise on something like that. I think it's encouraging the governor and the, the mayor sound like they're uh, pretty much on the same page on a casino fix, so I think you'll see that get taken care of this right. spring.
0: Governor thinks it will too. Former Senators Matt Murphy, former Senator Daniel Biss, maybe you'll come back one day. Thanks for being with me. Thank you. Taman has Thanks. a look at what's next after the break. Thanks, Paul. Coming up next on WGN-TV
4: Political Report. I think we have the potential to be very effective in what goes on in City Council, but that's provided that all 20 of us stay together. Can
1: the Aldermatic Black Caucus hold on to power in the era of Mayor Lightfoot? We go to City Hall in this week's Closer Luck. Welcome back to WGN-TV Political Report. Now a closer look at the Chicago City Council's Black Caucus. 20 of the city's 50 aldermen are members, just six votes shy of a majority. It's a powerful voting block if members stick together. But recently, private feuds have become very public, and members who thought they might get an ally in the city's first black woman mayor have quickly clashed with outsider Lori
0: Lightfoot.
4: I had the floor, and I did not relinquish the floor. I did not conclude my comments or my statement. We, I had the floor. We're past that point, Alderman Irving. Again, we're, I Respectfully, that, we're past that point. The time has come for us
0: to take a vote on this ordinance.
4: Again, we, to we, take the floor, I, that is just... I mean, if, if, if you needed that bad, take it. If you needed that bad, take it.
1: That uncomfortable skirmish happened last month during a debate to delay recreational cannabis sales in Chicago. All of the dispensaries licensed to open in Chicago this January are owned by white men.
5: It seems historically that we are never in the lead. We're always told to wait our turn. Once again, we get thrown in the
1: jails and they get thrown in the banks. The caucus thought it had enough votes for the delay, but after some last minute arm twisting, six members sided with the mayor. We have to stop looking out for self-interest and look out for the masses of our community. That's the only time you're going to see our communities turn around. When you see the black caucus stick together and put their self-interest to the side and stick together for the cause, you will see mountains moved in the city of Chicago.
4: I think that when the conversation started, there was movement, and some people felt that the movement that was made was, was satisfactory to them. The bulk of us did not believe that as the caucus, however, the majority of the members of the city council did believe that, and so, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't the outcome that we had hoped for, but this is democracy, and we have to roll with the punches.
1: Tensions rose again this month with Lightfoot, who is also the city's first openly gay mayor, and she pushed to study whether LGBTQ-owned businesses should get more city contracts. Black aldermen thought the program could come at the expense of their own communities.
4: I'm in full support of, of rights for all people. let just say that, but first of all, I want to be clear on that. I just never knew that there was an issue related to gay and transgender LGBTQ rights as relates to contracting, a lot of the concerns were primarily for gay white males. You know, white males don't need
1: set-asides, straight or gay. So there you have it, two major areas of disagreement between the Black Caucus and the fifth floor of City Hall. Alderman Anthony Beale has long fought with the mayor over her view on automatic privilege. Now he's questioning her motives. Do you think Mayor Lightfoot supports the Black Caucus's agenda? Well, I think there's another agenda, uh, and we're trying to figure out what that agenda is. But I don't think it's the black agenda. Charles Thomas is a former political journalist who covered Chicago and Illinois for over three decades. Charles, a black alderman says the black mayor doesn't support the black agenda. Whoa.
4: Well, I think she supports the LGBTQ agenda because that's where her base is. Keep in mind, we're only eight months into Lori Lightfoot's uh, term as mayor. And I believe that she's dealing with her base uh, before she deals with any of the other um, identities uh, that she holds, that being a woman and that being uh, a black woman.
1: So where does that leave black Chicagoans who had high expectations when it got to a runoff that two black women were in it, that they would get something?
4: Well, keep in mind that Lori Lightfoot only won about 8% of the 1.5 million registered voters in the city of Chicago. This was no mandate and by the way of that eight percent the majority of them were not african-american so she really doesn't owe the black community anything that overwhelming uh turnout in the runoff she won black votes then but really at that point it's too late keep in mind that the first round you campaigned for six months. The second round, you campaign for a month. So what Lori Lightfoot had to say to the city of Chicago really didn't resonate WITH BLACK VOTERS, AND SHE KNOWS THAT, SO SHE HAS TO TAKE CARE OF HER BASE.
1: MAYOR LIGHTFOOT HAS A MASSIVE PROGRAM, $750 MILLION. SHE'S HOPING SHE CALLS IT INVEST SOUTHWEST. IT'S FOR SOUTH AND WEST SIDE NEIGHBORHOODS. THIS OUGHT TO BE SOMETHING THAT SHOULD UNIFY THE BLACK ALDERMEN AND THE MAYOR.
4: YEAH, SOUTH AND WEST, WHEN YOU SAY SOUTH AND WEST IN CHICAGO, YOU are TALKING ABOUT THE BLACK COMMUNITY EUPHEMISTICALLY, RIGHT? Um, BUT I DON'T KNOW WHERE THE MONEY IS GOING TO COME uh, TO DO THIS. AND I'VE HEARD THIS FROM OTHER MAYORS, HOW THEY'RE GOING TO UPLIFT uh, THE BLACK COMMUNITY AND IT HASN'T HAPPENED. IN LARGE PART BECAUSE THE ALDERMEN HAVE FRACTURED. Uh, THE BLACK ALDERMEN HAVE FRACTURED AND NEVER STOOD AS A UNIT, AS A a HARDCORE VOTING UNIT WHEN THEY HAD THE NUMBERS IN THE CITY OF CHICAGO. AND THAT CERTAINLY HAPPENED ON RECREATIONAL CANNABIS. WHAT ABOUT THIS MAYOR'S CONFRONTATIONAL
1: STYLE? WE'VE SEEN IT WITH THE FOP, WE'VE SEEN IT WITH THE BLACK ALDERMEN. SHE FEELS LIKE SHE HAS A MANDATE
4: to shake things up. And that's a mistake that she's making because she doesn't really have uh, that mandate, not at this point. Again, going back to her 8% that she won, she was able to fill up her silo of of the many that were running uh, in the first round. Uh, She filled her silo up, uh, and the other candidates uh, could not. But I think that's a mistake on her part, not to believe she's going to need uh, black voters moving forward. But what we're hearing from Lori Lightfoot now, Uh, these skirmishes that she's having. This is is child's play considering what's gonna happen when this council has to redraw the map after the 2020 census. That's when the real fight is going to start because there cannot be in this city as many black aldermen as there are today, given the fact that blacks are leaving the city in huge numbers.
1: Not just the map, but also now we're hearing reports that next year's budget deficit could be over a billion dollars. She didn't do a massive property tax hike this time, but at some point, she's going to have to come up with a lot more revenue, and that could be divisive.
4: That could be very divisive, uh, but it, in Chicago, when you talk about the alderman, I, I believe that the aldermen in Chicago, all of them, are more concerned about their own little fiefdom, their own job than they are the city at large. I think they will probably freak out more when the remap starts uh, than they would freak out over the budget even. All right, Charles Thomas, so nice to have you here. Paul will tell
1: us now what's next.
0: All right, thanks to and with the impeachment trial in full swing, we talk with an Illinois Congressman who helped craft the Democrats' case, Representative Mike Quigley, up next in this week's interview, and later.
2: We can't have a situation like this before the next election.
0: We'll catch you up on Illinois' voter registration mix-up that made national headlines. Stay with us. The impeachment trial of President Donald Trump is now in full swing. Democratic House managers spent most of the week making their case to the Senate and to the American people. You can't trust this president do what's right for this country. You can trust he will do what's right for Donald Trump. Lawyers for the White House have argued for an outright acquittal from the start and the battle over what if any witnesses or documents will be allowed continues. Illinois Congressman Mike Quigley, a Democrat who serves on the House Intelligence Committee, weighs in.
5: Adam Schiff said it best. Don't you want to see this information? I think the better question is, what are you hiding? What are you afraid of? If the president's followers believe he did nothing wrong, why hide the documents? If the president's followers
0: believe he did nothing wrong, why keep these witnesses from testifying? I think even you'd agree it's a done deal, right? You're not getting 20 Republicans to throw the president out. What's the point of all this? At some point, you have to hold the President of the United States accountable. The
5: call with President Zelensky took place the day after Mueller testified before the House. He clearly understood, well, I got away with that one. I'll go on to higher crimes and misdemeanors. It's wrong for us to assume that he won't do worse from now on. Basically, he was trying to benefit personally on his own campaign and help cheat on the 2020 election, as I think he did in 2016. And I think many of his colleagues did the same thing. I think it's akin to a prosecutor armed with a grand jury indictment, knowing that his chances with a particular jury are slim, but he knows that law was violated. He has to do the right thing. We have a constitutional responsibility in the house too. I think we honored that. Is
0: this about the 2020 election? I mean, are we gonna see a lot of these votes taken in, in as for 2020, is that one of the primary purposes? I think this is a lot about turf, power, and jobs.
5: I used to teach a political science class at Loyola University, I used to tell my students, if you're ever short of an answer about why people do whatever they do in politics, it's about protecting power, and you'll get partial credit. I think right now, this is about protecting the Republicans' turf, their power.
0: Coming up next, the controversy over Illinois' automatic voter registration isn't over yet. How a glitch in the system is leading to legislative hearings. We're back after this.
1: Illinois lawmakers will hold hearings next week in Springfield to determine how more than 500 people who might not be U.S. citizens were registered to vote in the state. The secretary of state's office says a glitch in their computer system accidentally signed the residents up under the state's motor voting program triggered by driver's license and I.D. card applications. Fifteen of those registered voters cast ballots since 2018 and at least three of those voters were actually U.S. citizens that were wrongly categorized. That revelation set off a firestorm that spanned party lines.
2: These are people that were in Illinois legally. Uh, They were doing the right thing by identifying themselves as non-citizens, and it was the state that did not protect them. In fact, it was completely the Secretary of State's office fault for putting them at risk. I I don't think we need to be pointing fingers at, at anybody about blame. I think it's just, look, we have to get it right.
1: The Secretary of State's office says the error has been fixed and they'll cooperate fully with any investigation. Despite that fact, the political arm of the Illinois Republicans used the opportunity to raise money for the upcoming March primaries. They sent out an email calling on supporters to stop corrupt institutions.
0: And that's it for our show this week. Next Sunday, Paul, we're live in
1: Iowa as the Democratic Presidential candidates faced off in the first test for caucus goers. Iowa time, Paul.
0: going to be fascinating to see just how these senators caught in the hearings of impeachment, how they play out in Iowa. Because they can't really be there in the final days. See you next week. Bye-bye.